Hello, and welcome to the Event Safety Podcast. I'm Danielle Hernandez. I'm Steve Edelman. And today we're going to talk safe house. So what we've done today is we've invited um, one dear old friend of the Event Safety Alliance and his business partner who we had not talked to before today, but they've got some really cool stuff to talk about. So what we have is Greg Gazetta, um, who we knew from his old company, Event Intelligence Group, um, and Greg is now head of Safe House Group. And we have here his partner, Patty Padilla, um, who has a company called 196. And together they have created this Safe House Group that has related companies that, for our podcast purposes, we want to talk about today, which are... Um, Safe Set, because they've been working on film and television, and Safe Spaces, which is really important for people who would do festivals and, and live events. So this is a particularly useful and important discussion because, well, the news every day, literally every day, including just this morning before we, we started recording this podcast... The news includes more information about vaccines, how many there are. Um, you know, Greg can talk about his Johnson and Johnson one shot vaccination, which is fresh. And I can tell you that he looks good today. He looks healthy and that's terrific. And, you know, this is excellent stuff. And Patty has one vaccination on board. Also, the news is changing every day. So we know that events are coming soon, really soon. Depending on where you live, you may lawfully be able to just throw the doors open, toss your face coverings. We are not suggesting that is a good or safe idea, but at least you won't get in trouble with the law. So what we're going to talk about today with Greg and with Patty is how to do events safely including and? some very large events that you've heard of, um, how to do them safely and what we can all learn from their positive experiences as we are trying to navigate this rapidly changing landscape. So, And they recently a, had a huge success. A, a huge success. Huge that, success. That, that you podcast listeners probably heard about and maybe even watched on television. Uh, so... With that, um, let's introduce our friends, Greg Gazetta and Patty Padilla. Um, why don't you say a few words about yourself and then we will start posing questions. Great, hi everyone, um, I'm Patty. Thank you so much for having us on. We're really excited to talk with you today and your listeners. Um, yeah, we had a really huge success recently working on the inauguration, doing all the COVID compliance, using our technology um, from our company called Safe House. And we're excited to talk about that. Um, you know, Greg and I uh, you know, first met each other. Um, we both worked in the industry. This is my third inauguration. Um, I'm more in the social impact space, uh, doing events for folks like the UN and, and companies aligning themselves with the sustainable development goals, the human angle of things. And Greg, um, with his festival background, we came together over uh, the pandemic and he had this great uh, idea and technology uh, that he'll talk about called Safe House and we became partners. So um, we've been on board now, um, gosh, a four or five months um, and trying to get our wonderful industry that we love so much up and working and running again safely, um, and which we're uh, excited to talk about. Greg? 
Uh, hi, thanks for having us today. Um, long time listener, first time caller. Uh, <laughs> as uh, as uh, uh, those that have, I've been around ESA for quite a while. Um, as Steve said, with the Event Intelligence Group, um, and started this new venture uh, at the turn of the pandemic here. Um, and uh, Patty and I have uh, we've known each other for quite a while, but this is our first venture together, and. Um, uh, just, uh, it just kind of made sense to, to put these things together to help, help us all get back to work and get something to do during the pandemic when there's no events. Well, and, <laughs> and we've all been struggling to find useful things to do with our time. So let me give a couple of prefaces or sort of caveats. You can always spot the lawyer in the room. Um, so podcast listeners, you know, we at the Event Safety Podcast do not do infomercials. We don't. We're not going to do one today either. Um, we are well aware that you are getting inundated with people trying to sell you magical solutions to the problems of coronavirus. And, you know, the, the term snake oil comes to mind for some of these things. And my inbox is routinely filled up by people trying to sell me stuff. So during this conversation about Safe House and its various successful events and useful technology, we are mindful, Danielle and I are mindful of the fact that we're not trying to sell you stuff and Greg and Patty aren't either. Rather, the point of this podcast is to talk about some technology that has worked and how their experience can help all of us, as we try to figure out how can I successfully reopen, given the constraints, which are time, don't have that much because I got to get moving, money, uh, haven't earned much income in the last year, and how do I know, how do I distinguish between all these things that are filling up my inbox? So I wanted to lay that as foundation because we we understand because we're there too. you know, Danielle and I are dealing with the exact same stuff that all of you podcast listeners are. We're not trying to sell anything here. We're trying to learn something here. Let's also talk about NDAs real quick. Yeah. So non-disclosure agreement. So what we're going to start with this nice headline grabbing gateway topic is the inauguration of the 46th president of the United States. And that's a pretty cool thing. And Greg and Patty worked on that and kept people healthy and safe. Lawyerly caveat. There are things called non-disclosure agreements, podcast listeners, you know what those are. And so Danielle and I may ask, you know, sort of nerd questions because we are operations geeks and we like this stuff. And we may ask questions that Greg and Patty cannot answer either because it would be jeopardizing something proprietary or potentially violating a non-disclosure agreement. And so they're going to give us the best answers to our questions that they can. And we hope that you'll be understanding if there's something where they say, mm, sorry, you know, can't talk about that. Fortunately, we're dealing with friends. Okay. Appreciate so, that. Thank you. <laughs> so, so I'm going to ask the first question and then probably just sit back and you have an event like the inauguration. And I can tell you from just doing small stuff that there's a lot that goes into it. How in the world, what's the first bite of the elephant that is 
the safety aspect of an event like that? I'm not even talking security. I'm just talking like, where do you start? Yeah, no, that's a great question. You know, maybe we can back up for two seconds, just kind of explain what Safe House is. So then why the inaugural committee went with us to help them with their whole COVID compliance plan in the first place. And then we can kind of dive a little bit into that. So Greg, why don't you kind of talk through, um, you know, what our end to end solution is with Safe House and how it came about? Well, I think the first place to start is the the way that I even began down this road was through people that I work with in festivals and events, um, the, in the risk mitigation area. Um, so some of the same people that I work with, um, at some of these large events that are doing safety plans and such also work in film and television. Um, when the safe way forward came out, uh, and they started getting the calls because they were the film and TV safety folks, um, they didn't know what to do with this COVID thing. They figured it out by, you know, like everybody else. Um, but they knew at one point that they needed a solution to help manage this. Um, so we were lucky enough to fortunate enough that some of our compatriots from the events world who uh, had, had a foot in the other side as well um, came, came to us looking for a way to help manage the situation. Um, so I think that's really important uh, to start there that it's like, you know, event people is what kind of brought this through. Right. Um, as, as we all know, we're all uh, problem solvers. Uh, it's it's personally it's one of my favorite parts of, of doing this is, is just figuring out how to solve the problems. Um, so from that, we were very successful with a couple. We got very fortunate. We were successful on a couple of large studio um, TV shows with big budgets. So we were able to um, uh, to generate enough revenue to continue the development of the product, which then became interesting for, you know, events that are coming out. Um, we were more uh, thinking, Patty and I, when we first started talking about this, P Patty's world is um, a lot of um, government agencies, uh, you know, those types of small, high-end, uh, high-security, um, high-touch events that people were going to want to get back to board meetings, that sort of thing. So we started thinking that direction. And then once we got out there, <clears throat> excuse me, and started talking to um, some of our clients, friends, um, the, the scope kind of kept getting larger. Um, and as Patty said, uh, you know, we both have worked on inaugurations in the past. That's what our background was. Um, that's how we met. So uh, the, the people from the inaugural committee, not only, um, knew us and felt comfortable with this and knew that we could, you know, that what we were selling, what we were offering, the services we were offering, um, we could deliver on. Um, and Greg, why and, don't you talk a little bit about those services just so the caller, the listeners sure. here? Like, yeah, I mean, it all started with, you know, it all started with um, our software. Uh, so um, uh, with the Event Intelligence Group, we developed a, a bit of software called GigaWare which was incident management um, dispatch software, basically runs the command centers at large music festivals and marathons and, and such. Um, so the first part of the safe house offering was safe set, which was the software that um, uh, it's, there's basically three parts of it. Uh, you got your daily health questionnaire in the mobile app. Um, you answer that correctly. You you get a, a QR code, um, a perishable QR code where you offer it to the person that is working check-in. When we uh, check people in, we check not only that their credentials are in place, their health questionnaire is answered properly, but most importantly, that they're on their testing protocols. So for instance, on a film set, Safe Way Forward, Group A, we're testing every day. 
um, group B, we're testing. Those are the people that are around the actors and such that don't have PPE on. And then this, the, the secondary group of testing twice a week. So we built a system that when people check in, um, you know, you have four or 500 people testing multiple, we were doing thousand tests a week at some points. Um, so being able to manage that. And when people show up, knowing that they're on their testing protocol, um, was super important. And then we attached to that a different kind of contact tracing, which was unlike what had really been done before with everybody's got the Bluetooth technology, the wearables. Um, uh, but it just didn't make sense. It made sense uh, to me to have something that was less friction. So what we did is we took some more technology from the festival world, RFID, you know, same technology, it's in wristbands, cashless payment, uh, but that's a lower frequency and highly secure um, chip in those in those sense. We took a more basic, um, it's a UHF chip, so it's longer range. So, um, and then we built portals, we call them portals. There's various ways of looking at it, but basically we track people in and out of areas of concern. So on a film or a TV set, um, we won't like, track people all around the studio, we're gonna track people um, in locations where there's a higher risk of transmission, um, hair and makeup, uh, green rooms, uh, sets themselves. <clears throat> so when there is exposure, um, uh, we can pull a con, we would know who's in that room um, for how long with whoever. Uh, the only thing we don't have is the distance to the person, but knowing that the space that you're in is enough. And at the end of the day, contact tracing, a lot of this stuff is a human endeavor and it really needs to be done. And we provide the data to make it a better trace and to, um, uh, and, and to help that situation. So that's, so that's the technology piece of it. And then we, then when we got into the inauguration, started doing these events, we started working on more of the, the, the service part of it with COVID compliance officers and check-ins and, and Patty, you want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. So basically um, what Greg was saying, uh, just to recap, is that we have this technology that is an end-to-end solution where we integrate with uh, labs to make sure we can you know, work with um, the testing protocols that are set. Um, you know, we have the check-in process, we have the health questionnaires, we have the, um, uh, the tracking and tracing on site, and then also the um, the actual physical, uh, you know, human aspect of our COVID compliance officers that go around. They, you know, set work on the policies or procedures of whatever that event is with the event organizers, and then they uh, they institute it. So basically, you know. Um, if it's a certain type of mass uh, distancing, they're making sure that high touch areas are clean and um, you know different you know areas like our catering tents or, or trailers, those different places where PPE sometimes has to be removed, um, that there's only a certain amount of people in there, that those areas. So it's this, not only the technology part, but the service part. And so when we had this, a lot of event organizers have been coming back together. They've been running off Google Sheets or all these different type of like, single solutions and they're like, oh wait, Safe House has this end-to-end solution plus the people that can institute like all of the policies that we need to take place for this to happen safely. Let's do that. And so our big event was at the inauguration where we we're able to roll all of this out. I have wow. to tell you that <laughs> as I listen to this fabulous stuff, which sounds very comprehensive and we can you know go back into the details, my impression listening to this is that sounds expensive. Um, yeah. 
It, be. Is. <laughs> be. It, it is it depends you know like obviously what what the footprint is but yes this is there's multiple different layer layers and levels as to which you can use and dissect part of the technology as to what works for you if it's small end or high end like a small capacity versus a large capacity right so there's so many different ways of us like one great thing that we do with our clients is sit down and talk to them like what do you actually need you don't need all of this crap right i mean not to say that our stuff is is of that <laughs> caliber at all it's fantastic but Patty, jacob will get that part <laughs> no but but honestly like when you're like coming from my world of like the social impact, the nonprofit, the government sector. It's like, what do you actually need? Our entire goal for coming together is the fact that we want to revitalize our industry. We want people to gather. We miss human interaction and we want them to do it safely. We don't want anyone to get hurt on our dime in a sense. And so we work with these event promoters and producers to say, hey, we really care about our laborers. We really care about our vendors. We care about our sponsors. We care about our participants. How can we gather safely and what do you suggest? So we work with them on a plan. And within that plan, we can curtail the different technologies. Like, wait, you only need check-in. You're going to be outdoors only for one or two days with your vendors coming and setting up. They're doing their testing protocols, or maybe they're not, but they've showed like that they have been tested to show up to work. They're working, you know, six hours and then they're out. These, and then we have a COVID compliance officer that makes sure that they have the right PPE, that they are within the right, you know, distance as much as they possibly can, and that they have an advocate on their behalf. So we basically are that advocate for them to say, hey, we're here. We care about um, anyone who walks in on the site. It's like, I like to call it like the COVID compliance plan is almost like the new fire marshal plan, right? Like we hope it doesn't happen, but if it does, you have the right people on site to mitigate that that um, situation. Our podcast listeners and Greg um, will recognize what I'm about to say, but tell me if this is more or less what safe house does. So I I have often had occasion to recite the legal duty of care and podcast listeners, you should now be rolling your eyes and starting to (laughs) think about me looking longingly at a blue man and our duty. I knew we were going to get to duty of care today. Oh, I just knew it was there. (laughs) It it always comes up, you know, Greg Greg is probably just, you know, wondering why did I do this podcast? (laughs) Everyone has a legal duty to behave reasonably under their own circumstances. Patty, what I just heard from you is that, you know, maybe at the inauguration, you brought out absolutely everything that one could do that safe house supplies, but you know, for other situations that are perhaps not quite as resource rich or have different risks, you know, there is essentially an a la carte way of getting services that are reasonable under one's own circumstances. Is that more or less right? Absolutely. Yeah. And I actually, and I actually think that the, the inauguration as a whole, we were kind of doing two different parts of the inauguration we had two different systems running and it's a pretty good example of, of both ends of the spectrum on the services that we provide Um, for the inaugural committee and for the, um, the broadcast that we were, that we were working on, we had the whole system out. It was two weeks. We were there for two weeks. We had a whole staff, whole crew um, running the whole gamut of our software. Now, on the other end of the mall, where they're planting hundreds of flags, thousands of flags in very intricate patterns, uh, C3 Presents was the, the vendor out there. Uh, 
uh, you know, a festival vendor. I've been working with them for years and years. So they were under a different situation because they had hundreds of stagehands, IA stagehands coming in. They're obviously not going to be testing all these people um, and their vendors and such. So the, at the other end of the spectrum of our, of our software, we offered them and they used um, just the health questionnaire. So what, what would happen is is pretty simple simple process. Everybody who comes scans a QR code. They get into the they get into the app. They register in once every day. They show up at the site. They answer the questions, and the questions are specific to the clients. It's all customizable for different situations. But when they answer the questionnaire appropriately on the home page of the app, they just got a green check mark, a big green check mark. So they could show that to the security guard that's sitting there. It's not a COVID compliance officer. It's not somebody checking them in. It's just somebody verifying that they answered their health questionnaire properly. They get the wristband. They're checked in for the, for the day. So, and the cost of that is a tenth of what the cost of, if maybe even less than what, than what you know the big project was on the other end of the mall. Um, so, uh, kind of going back, we've been very fortunate to have some like you know high budget clients in the beginning, which allows us to um, offer our services uh, in, in a way um, where it could be um, usable and, and affordable by, by lower end. And we're even doing some, um, we're even doing some uh, pro bono work with some, some local small groups. So I have to thank you. If you had anything to do with ordering the wind to come through, remove those flags during the inauguration itself, that was very well. I was like, stand by wind, wind, go. And it was, it was gorgeous. Uh, so thank you. you. Any, any part of that. We'll take responsibility for most things that will happen there, but not everything. I, yeah. But I think like one of the big points that you're trying to make here, uh, Stephen, Danielle is that, you know, when you're planning your next event, what is the next line item that you need to plan for, right? And then how much do you have to plan to spend on that line item? And it's a hard question. It's a really hard question because, you know, being in the event industry, as long as we all have been, we're trying to save as much money as possible. So either, you know, can go into a profit statement or it can go back in my world. You know, when I'm doing work for the World Food Program, the more money you spend, the less you can spend on feeding people around the world. And so you have to answer questions. What is important? Like, how do you make um, the most of your budget? And so I we work with people and, and just even to have that open conversation of like, how much do you need to put aside or talk to sponsors? Maybe you can even get more sponsors these days to say, hey, why don't you take care of the um, the COVID compliance of the event um, and the health and safety of the event. Because overall, there is going to be and there is a new plan forward of the health and safety and wellness of people gathering, period. And if there's one thing that this pandemic has taught us, it's that we can't just like operate as we used to. We need to be more specific and more thoughtful of, you know, slamming a bunch of bodies in a room and having a horrible buffet or coffee, you know, kind of refill station and, and, you know, running this like step and repeat over and over again, you know, we have to be really thoughtful. Maybe we do less with that, you know, uh, gives us more in the end or yields more in the end. Um, you you realize you just indicted the entire cruise ship industry. Yeah. Well, (laughs) and they're indicted. And and it's conference season. (laughs) They make amazing floating hospitals. (laughs) Sorry. Um, If you wanted to, if you wanted to kind of back to Danielle's original question about the elephant and the bite. Yeah. Um, So um, 
in general, as far as the inauguration goes, you know, inaugurations are usually pretty much step and repeat. Every four years, it's the same thing, just with different people, mostly different people. Um, and, you know, there's a there's there's a swearing in, there's a parade and there's balls and there's a day of service. And it all just kind of I wouldn't say it's an absolute step and repeat. It depends. <laughs> yeah, it does. Well, so but but kind of rhymes. <laughs> yeah, this is a family <laughs> podcast. Now. Of, yeah, there's official <laughs> side of the inauguration that is absolutely step and repeat. And then there's the beautiful production side that has a lot more of the show element, depending on what side of the party plans that, but I'm a big yeah. fan of So, but yeah. this, this, you know, um, this, as a friend of mine said that, um, we'll probably never do uh, another inauguration, um, during a pandemic and just after an insurrection as well. So the security aspect of, um, of, of it was, a was a big deal as well. Um, Greg, Greg, I hope you're right in that you didn't just jinx that. Oh, of course not. <laughs> I, I don't jinx. There's not. I've never jinxed anything in my life. Okay. Um, uh, so it was. You know, the, the the point I was trying to make though on this inauguration was is is where usually everybody kind of knows what's going to happen and what's you know. But this this was not only because of the pandemic and you know usually it's a big party on the mall, and this okay. time it was flags on the mall. Um, a great evening broadcast. Um, but, you know, miles and miles of NATO fencing, tens of thousands of National Guards. Um, so it, it made it was changing daily. You know, um, we arrived in D.C. two days after the riots. Um, and so they were still figuring it out. So every day, not only would the scope of the event change, but also the security protocols would change. Um, and we, you know, it just, you know, it's, you know, it's national security, right? So you'd get a plan one day and then the next day you'd come in and the fencing totally wasn't where it was supposed to be. And now your testing center is outside of the fence and the people that you've hired to, to do testing, to do COVID compliance and all these things are a little freaked out because they're outside the perimeter. So there's, um, it was just very much complicated. And to answer your question, it would tiny bite by tiny bite. If, if we're going to talk about eating that elephant, um, it was just, uh, it was, um, it was definitely an experience, but we, it was changing daily. Yeah. I imagine you had to be pretty flexible with some of that. Yeah. 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 I mean, the one thing that was just so amazing is, uh, you know, everyone who showed up didn't matter what their job was, was really happy to be there because it was like the first time we got to all come back to one space and do things we love, like produce events or shows for, for the world basically. And it was in, and when we had, um, very high levels of, um, uh, compliancy that people had to test before they arrived. They had daily testing. We had pop-up testing sites all over the place, um, health questionnaires, things that, you know, the, if they came wearing a cloth mask, we switched them out with an N95 or KN95 mask. And, you know, we did have the luxury of having these supplies to then properly um, equipped everyone who walked in on the site. Um, everyone was, there was no issues. It, it wasn't like, oh God, I have to go through another mag or another thing. They was just like happy to be there. It was so easy, you know, day one when they filled out their profile and on our safe spaces and it generated that QR code and they had that green check mark, they started to become friends like, hey, what's up? You know, they would check in, do your temperatures. Great, you're on testing. See you back here in four hours for some more COVID testing testing, you know, that kind of thing. And so everyone really worked in unison. And I think that that was one thing of um, when you start as an event organizer, having to put these additional steps in, people are going to be okay 
doing those steps because they want to be there. You know, um, they want to go back to work. They want to attend these events. And so I think if you just give them a bunch of lead up time, you know, of what their experience is going to be before they get there, there's not going to be any issues at the front gates or the doors of why is this not working? Why do you need to test me? Or why do I need to prove that I had a vaccine? What are all these different things, you know? So it's just a matter of educating your guests and your, your vendors of we're doing this for you. I imagine the communication piece was substantial. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. We learned a lot about onboarding. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, communication is, is huge. Um, you know, like Greg was saying, you know, it's one thing to do an event during a pandemic. It's another thing to do an event during a pandemic and an insurrection where it's like, do I care about? It's like you're focused on like the, the, the virus safety of people and then your physical safety. And, you know, it's just kind of was it was a lot of emotion. <laughs> there was a lot of emotion there, um, but it all worked out beautifully. And we're just all so lucky to be a part of it. I, I must say that the the there was there were bright spots. I mean, you know, to it and, and fun things about it as well. Um, the accomplishment and all that. But one of the funnest parts was once you got into the green zone, because you had the right credentials. It was like being in go kart world, because there were no traffic. There were no traffic rules <laughs> at all. So you could drive around all you want, wrong side of the road, whatever you want, and as long as you could find an exit out of that green zone at some point. Um, the first day, I remember Patty and I got caught in there pretty good. Uh, but yeah, so there was some there was some fun, unique aspects to it. So I have an operational question, which is given that you have a variety of things that you got to use, um, we can leave the go-kart aspect of it aside, but you got to try a lot of things that probably people listening to our podcast haven't gotten to try yet. So in a universe of finite resources, can you help our podcast listeners kind of triage what their risks are and recommend ways that they can utilize scarce resources to get the most return on their COVID risk mitigation investment? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I love this part because uh, it was, you know, doing events forever and then doing something during a pandemic at this magnitude, you, you learn so much. Number one, uh, we were able to kind of like build the ship as we're sailing it. Um, we had our developer team there that could like change out different aspects of our technology to help with the lab integration piece um, to be more smooth, uh, you know, change it in different language, the health questionnaire in different languages. You know, when we're checking people in, not everyone speaks English. And so we had to be open and adaptable to other languages. Now we're rolling it out in the six UN languages, you know, for some of our international clients. So thinking through of like from many different lenses, you know, num what I want to say is masks and social distancing works hands down. Wait, and would you say that again, Patty? <laughs> <laughs> Louder for those in the back. <laughs> Absolutely. Masks and social distancing fucking works. Like I, I cannot, <laughs> like I cannot drive that point home more. And, and, you know, it's, it doesn't matter if you have a, such a huge budget as an inauguration would be, or even a smaller budget, you can institute those two basic things and still feel comfortable interacting um, with, you know, building an event, you know, building a, a gathering of sorts. 
Um, and, and there's different ways of doing that. You know, like we had the, the luxury of, of a lot of plexiglass at our check-in areas. Um, you know, if we were out in the middle of a field and we did not have a plexiglass because we haven't started building the infrastructure for the check-in yet, we were able to supply um, face shields, you know, for our check-in officers. You know, we have, there's distance, you know, setting up different cones for those six feet if it's in a huge you know field people follow the rules you just have to tell them what they are you have to do like you mentioned earlier danielle like the communications prior to anyone showing up is the most important you know um sending out uh, when they get there greeting them you know letting them know what the policies or, or the process is going to be uh making sure that you have that infrastructure in place but these basic things are super helpful. I don't know, Greg, did you have want to add anything? Yeah, I think it's, a, I think it's important to really, I've been thinking about this a lot now because some more big, larger events are coming our way. It's important to consider that to break it up into two different things. There's business continuity, which is basically what we've been doing right on film sets. It's this business continuity. So, um, if you have a group that's going to be a production group, that's going to be around working together for a couple of weeks, and they're going to be in office trailers and such, you're probably going to want to do more um, in the line of testing um, and, and more restrictions now. But now with the guests are coming in, obviously you're not going to either a have the money to get everybody, you know, the finances to test everybody, even if you're doing some of the silly rapid tests. Um, but, you know, so in that case, just that awareness, right. <clears throat> and going back to what Patty said, you know, social distancing and masks, if you're bringing and and, you know, uh, outdoors, right, obviously outdoors, you know, ventilation was a big part of the planning on these film sets and stuff. I mean, it's amazing these systems that that would bring in. But so now we're going to focus on outdoors. Right. But even if you're a production crew for a week or two putting an event together, um, that's when you think about business continuity. And I would say you would want to invest more, more resources into that because you lose half your crew, you're going to lose your event. Um, and then when you yeah. get into bringing people into a space, um, you know, I, you, you could do the health survey. Um, you were talking earlier about the, you know, there's, you know, we, we, we've been using the term, you know, um, health mitigation theater, right? Like a lot, there was, I saw an article the other day about all this, all this Chinese, uh, whiz bang thermal scanning stuff with these great images that you see on a TV that we can't, you know, the very first thing that we started researching when all this started going down was thermal screenings. That's what everybody was talking about. Right. So it was very easy. I had a, a few people, we did the research and it was very easy in a matter of days to go, Oh, the only thing that really works that you can find a true elevated body temperature are these very expensive, like FLIR systems and stuff. Right. And if it's not that, then it's just, you're either, wasting money and thinking you're doing something or you're trying to give the people that are, that are, that are processing through um, a little bit more confidence, which is misfounded. Right. So misplaced. Um, so, uh, you know, and sometimes they don't work in, you know, below yeah. zero degrees yeah. <laughs> outside where you're scanning people before they go into other events. So, so I think, I think it's really important possible. to kind of break it down, right. To, to, to like the business continuity part and dealing with your crew, your staff, your talent. Um, and then, looking at the guests that are being coming in in a different way because they're, they're, it's not part of business continuity, but you don't want to be a super spreader event as well. Right. So the awareness, the health screen, the, the, you know, the health questionnaires um, and, and just like we're looking for 
at a big music festival, just like we're looking, we're screening for drugs and weapons and all these other things. We're going to need to be screening for potential, you know, um, virus spread. Thank you, Greg. I was going to ask you basically that question that you just answered without me asking. So that was brilliant. Excellent. points. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's the Vulcan mind meld. <laughs> so Greg, you, you raised an issue that I think is important to address expressly, and you alluded to health theater. Mm -hmm. um, there are various things that we talk about because we have been talking about since the beginning of the pandemic that science has made pretty clear have marginal benefit. So thermal scanning using the typical $79 thermal scanner that you can buy at your local pharmacy um, has really limited utility, um, at least from a strict health perspective. You know, everybody's baseline temperature is a little different. You know, 98.6 degrees Fahrenheit is, you know, it's the mean temperature, but mine is lower. A lot of people's is lower. Some people have a higher baseline temperature, which means the 100.4 degree Fahrenheit accepted level of, you know, uh-oh, we need to retest you in 10 minutes, isn't all that useful. And besides the thermal scanners you get at a pharmacy aren't that useful anyway. Oh, and besides something around 40% of people will be substantially asymptomatic carriers and not have a fever anyway. And even the people who will show symptoms are most infectious when they are pre-symptomatic. Okay. They may have symptoms that aren't a fever. <laughs> Well, well, right. <laughs> you know, somebody may be doing what I'm doing right now, drinking from a cup of tea. And, you know, at some point later in the day, they may not taste it or smell it any longer. But when they have their forehead scanned, they taste everything just fine. And there are other things like that. Um, and I guess my question is, even for things that may have marginal medical or epidemiological utility, is there any other value or should somebody who's thinking about reopening, listening to you guys say, well, I'm not buying any thermal scanners or I'm not doing any, any guest surveys because people lie. Is there any value to doing the things that have marginal utility? I, I believe so. Um, to a point, because it, it's a really good it's a really good point you bring up. One of the things that we um, discovered early on on film sets um, was having everybody go through a formal process every morning, first thing, right, made a big difference. And to the point of how many steps were in that formal process, right? We were doing. We were doing the, 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 you know, the temperature scans with the silly guns. And, you know, if you're, in, you know, you're in, you're on location somewhere and it's like 40 degrees, the guns aren't, I mean, you know, so it's, a, but then what we determined was, is so we had the credentials on most of them so we could do the tracing in our system. We really only need to scan the credential once to attach it to a person. Right. But what we ended up doing is having, everybody scan their credential every day as part of the check-in process. Cause we found that the more steps people have to go through the, the, the more they're going to be aware of what's going on. It, it establishes a culture, doesn't yes. it? Yes. Yeah. So, I mean, that was really where I was going. 
we are certainly not advocating that people throw money away. But Absolutely if you not. happen to have a thermal scanner someplace in your in your first aid kit, which you probably do somewhere, you know, toss a couple of batteries in it, use it. Mm-hmm. Don't use that as the only measure to mitigate exactly. the risk of infection. But it helps remind people, you know, there will be some translation. I think, at least that's what I've seen on sites. Mm-hmm. There will be some translation between a measure like you know, thermal scanning, which has marginal medical utility and, oh, I got to remember to wear my face covering over my nose, not mm-hmm. under my nose. Mm-hmm. It, and doesn't it make you feel better, Steve? Like when you are going through all these steps and process, you're like, I just, I feel safer being on a site or in an event or, you know, going to a restaurant. If they take these precautions, if they, you know, make sure people do a, a health check-in, if they make sure people scan in, it just, it makes me feel that someone cares enough about the environment as to which I'm, you know, walking into. Yeah, it means their standards in other parts that you aren't accessing are hopefully equally high or higher. And I think that right. makes a big difference. Yeah, exactly. So as we prepare to wrap up this podcast, were there any other significant teachable moments that you guys have seen or heard about since you're on the front lines here of not only coming up with the technology, but actually using it and seeing how effective it is in real time? You know, we're always interested in how do we help our podcast listeners get to where they need to be, which is a healthy and safe reopening. Are there any other significant teachable moments that you can talk about? Maybe I can start with from the human side of things, just plan, plan, plan. Um, the, you know, you never know what's going to happen. You know, we had a team of uh, a massive team check-in team, COVID compliance officer team and having a plan in place. If someone on your staff um, gets infected, right? What, are, what is your mitigation plan? Like, how do you replace them? There was just an article that came out around the all-star games, two players just got COVID. They don't really have a plan B to fill them in. They might have to, you know, do what they're doing. What is your, what's your plan B? You know, how do you not only, um, how do you build, you know, financially into your budget of if we have, we're outside on site somewhere, we have to extend the 10 days of a hotel room because X person needs to quarantine. You don't just go, okay, cool. You deal with that. That's on your own. How do you do personal care throughout your team as well as not just thinking through to the client, you know, event organizers like us, we're always client first, us second, you know, that has to change. You have to care about your staff. You have to care about your team. You have to have backup plans, backup people in place um, and understand at the different levels that you're able to operate or just say, sorry, we can't do this. Yeah, no, I think that's, that's really important. Um, I think the, I had a really like profound moment uh, at the very beginning of the very first uh, large TV show we were doing, um, being that it was, uh, you know, the times we were in, I decided to go in and create all the credentials for everybody and hand them out, take the picture. So I had 300 crew coming in, folks that had been sitting home for, I guess it was about six, seven months at the time. Um and they were all so appreciative of the efforts that were going in to keep them safe. Um, and I think that 
you know, obviously we all want to get back to work. Obviously we all want that human connection again and all that. And, and the way to make people feel comfortable about it is to show that you care about what's going on, um, that you're doing uh, some of the folks that were on, especially this first, this first show we were doing, then they kind of went in downtime and worked on other shows. There's, there's, there are super qualified IA crews walking off sets because they weren't being taken care of. And that'll happen. And it's not just about t- checking some boxes. It's about actually um, taking care of the people that are working with you and doing what you need to do. And, it, and again, it doesn't need to be testing every day. And, you know, there, there is a way to mitigate risk um, in any type of environment, most environments, I should say, not any type. But um, and uh, if you want people to uh, come back and work with you, um, um, you just need to put in the time and let them know that you're doing the be- the most you can to help them to help this work. Life yeah, and, and just one, exactly. Yeah. And and one last thing too, um, you as the, you know, kind of the event organizer, you need to be the leader in your industry. People watch you all the time. Don't let your guard down wear your masks, socially distance, you know, like follow your own rules that you put into place. Yeah, that's super you know, important. You too. have yeah. to be that, you know, you have to be so conscious, right? Like I'm not going to be sitting here and yelling at people because they're not wearing their mask. And I turn around and I take my mask down just to like have a cigarette in a non-smoking area. You know, it's like, <laughs> I mean, I don't smoke first of all. Um, but you know, like you have to be as good as your policy and you have to be over diligent, you know, just it's, you're, you're your own standard and you have to follow it because everyone's watching you. Shame is a good tool. It's very, people <laughs> respond to sh- shaming, being shamed for not wearing their mask or whatever. It, it works out pretty well most of yeah. the time. So we, I mean, realize. when they would see our COVID compliance officers wearing their blue high vis vest coming around, people just like, <gasps> you know, like freak, like, oh gosh, we have the right mask. We're, sorry, you know, socially distanced. Like you just have to show up and people are just like, oh, there, yeah. 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 Tell, but Steve just pointed at the safety fez. <laughs> The yes. safety monitor fez with safety an, monitor a, fez, yes. a cornea searing high viz color. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god! Well, you know, just from uh, being Californian, Burning Man's one a big part of our lives out here. I was like, oh my gosh, my COVID compliance officers! If we can get those like acrobatic folks that do the the um, the uh, the hula hoop type thing with colors, you know, they could be their social distancing, like artistic talent that we can incorporate into all these events. It'd be super cool. You know, then people would get so mad. They would be like entertained at the same time that they have to stay away. Stay away from um, each other. That's a great to Somniac about that for their EDM festivals. That's actually not a bad idea. Yeah. That's an amazing <laughs> idea. Each one everywhere. <laughs> get creative as much as possible while you're having fun and staying safe. Yeah. Well, that seems like a great, place for me to do the the normal business. Uh, If you guys want to contact us, our email is podcast at eventsafetyalliance.org. If you like our podcast, tell your friends. We'd love more people to listen. Because of course you like our podcast. (laughs) Right. So like, rate, and review us on Apple Podcasts. Leave a review. It always helps more people find us. Say nice things about Danielle. And Steve. Uh And Greg and Patty. And Jacob. And anyone else who's ever been a guest. Um, if you are still needing another face covering, we still have a few left. You can buy them at our website, www.eventsafetyalliance.org. And you can also follow the podcast on Instagram. 
And I think that is all the business. And with that business, um, let me thank Patty Padilla and Greg Gazetta from Safe House Group. Um, sounds like you guys are doing excellent work and we're glad that you're able to work and helping the rest of us get back to work. Um, Very inspiring. <laughs> it, it is inspiring and hopeful. And these days, there's a lot to be hopeful about, um, but let's be smart about it. Because And, and wear your mask. And, and wear your mask yeah. and, and social Patty, distance. I was listening. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Well, right. thank you. This was an honor. We really yeah. appreciate thank it. Thank you very much. It was great. And all your listeners. Thank you guys for joining us today. And thanks to Jacob for doing our engineering. Stay safe, everybody.